I had a few brief thoughts that I wanted to share about something that is a very, it's all the rage these days. Very hot topics of masculinity and femininity and marriage and submission and patriarchy and all of those conversations being had right now and a source of great contention and confusion and general pandemonium, at least if the internet is anything to go by. But we, seeking to be people of the book, we want to know what does God say about it? And whatever God says is the best way because God's ways are good. Because God loves his people. He knows what he's talking about. And so when we read God's word and he tells us to do something, we say, yes, sir. And we say, Thy word is like honey to my lips. It's not, yeah, we're supposed to obey God, but more than that, we get to obey God. We get to walk in the ways of life through the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the foundation, the foundational understanding of the gospel has to be there. If we do not have that foundational root of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We're still under the wrath of God. So if we have not come to God through Christ, the rest, just hang it up. Just go home. The rest of it is useless. It starts with knowing Jesus. But once we know Jesus, part of knowing Jesus, you don't don't get married and then say, well, I'm married, so I guess I don't need to get to know my wife anymore. No, you just started the relationship. You're going to spend the rest of your life growing closer. That is how it is to be for us with knowing the Lord. We come to him by repentance and faith. We're made a part of the family of God. We should still be growing in holiness and in righteousness. Scripture tells us the will of God is our sanctification, being made more holy. And that should be the desire of all of our hearts. So, with that as as the foundation, then, what does the Lord say about husbands and wives and specifically Here's my my specific focus today, because there's a thousand ways you could go with that question. My specific focus is talking about, thinking about decision-making in marriage. What are some some basic principles that God would give for the husband, for the wife, in how we we navigate decision-making and the direction-setting of the family? And on the way here, my wife gave me a great verse that I had not actually had the chance to look up yet, but um, I can at least quote it roughly, and you can look it up yourself for the reference from the book of Proverbs. So the, basically the two, two basic premises that, that we're looking at is one for husbands and one for wives. So for the husband, the premise, the principle would be the, the thing that I'm trying to, to prove, and if, it's not, if I can't prove it from Scripture, then forget about it. Because it's got to come from God's word. That's where the authority is. But the premise that I am seeking to prove is that masculinity is not manipulative. In other words, that when God gives authority to the husband, that is not authority to manipulate his wife. There's a certain way he should wield that authority that is a blessing to his wife. It is a blessing to his family. Not not a curse. Not a harm not something that damages. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about how the wrath of the king is like the roaring of the lion, 
but his favor is like the dew on the grass. That's what it's supposed to be like for a godly father. A godly father in the home, he's the king of the house, and as the king, he can be a raging monster that leaves destruction in his wake. Or he can be dew on the grass that nourishes his wife, his children, and help them to grow up into what God is calling them to be. So, what do I mean when I say masculinity is not manipulative? Well, the verse that I would refer you to for the specific would be the one that I didn't have the time to look up the reference for, but it's from the book of Proverbs, and I will roughly quote it, and if anybody looks up the reference, you can raise your hand and give it to me, but it's the one that talks about when you sit down to eat with someone, and he says, eat, 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 but his heart is not with you, and you just, you sit down and you, you wolf down his food, but you're going to regret it later because he didn't really mean it. His heart is not with you. You will end up vomiting up the morsel you have eaten and you will have wasted your compliments. So if somebody can find the reference for me, what is it? Proverbs 23, 7. There you go. So if you want to turn with me, Proverbs 23, 7. Thank you. Do not, so starting in verse 6, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. What does this have to do with marriage? Well, we're looking specifically at the idea of manipulation. So if I'm going to sum up what I'm saying in, in a sentence, it would be this. The husband is given by God authority over the home to make, he has the last call. The buck stops with him. He makes the final decision about anything. That's the authority God has given to the husband. Authority's all, authority always comes with responsibility. It's not, so, it's not so that he can just be the boss and just run everything for his own selfish purposes. It's so that he can lead the family after Christ, lay his life down for his family, and lead them after what is right, after what the Lord is calling them to do. So that he can be like Abraham, a patriarch who will instruct his family in the way of the Lord. That's what God calls the husband and the father to do. And he gives him the authority to do it. And it's a real authority that our culture hates and is ashamed of and caveats away and just tries to basically nullify. But that's the way God said it is. And it's in his word. Specifically, you can see it in Ephesians chapter 5 would be one place to look. But how are we supposed to use it as a husband? Here's the, here's the sentence. When a, uh, a decision must be made and you and your wife are at an impasse, the husband has two options. Number one would be give preference to his wife and have a good attitude. Number two would be not give preference to his wife and have a good attitude. Those are the two options. So the ultimate question is, okay, the husband has to figure out. He has to go before the Lord. He has to wrestle through the word. He has to pray and say, okay, Lord, what do you want? Because at the end of the day, he's going to stand before Lord, the Lord for the decision that he made for his household. And so he has two choices. I, my wife and I disagree. Um, let's, let's make it a, this is a, a significant decision. My wife really wants to move to Kentucky, and I want to I stay here. And we've talked about it and talked about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, and we just can't Agree, we're at an impasse, but a decision has to be made because we have to live somewhere. Okay, well, husband, that's your job. So now you have two choices. You can either say, okay, we're going to move to Kentucky, or okay, we're going to stay here. But whichever one you do, the option you do not have is to have a bad attitude about it. And that is, and I'm speaking from my own failures, where the Lord is teaching and convicting me of my failures to, to do this, have a good attitude. 
towards my wife. The temptation in the flesh is no matter which, which decision you make, you make it kind of half-heartedly or with a bad attitude or you lack joy or you're just like the character in the Peanuts comics that walks around with a cloud of dirt above his head, but for you it's a cloud of joylessness and you just bring that, the atmosphere of the whole house down and suffocating because uh, she wouldn't do what I wanted or, okay, we made the decision, but it wasn't the decision I wanted. Uh, that's not godly authority. That's not how God calls husbands to lead their homes towards Christ. Don't be the selfish man. The selfish man who says to, I'm applying this to the marriage, says to his wife, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll go to Kentucky. And then you move to Kentucky. And then for the next three months, your marriage is miserable because your heart was not with her. You were mad at her. You gave her the decision that you thought was going to make her happy. And now you're going to make her miserable for it. That's not how God calls men to love their wives. In 1 Peter, husbands are told to live with their wives in an understanding way. I'm going to turn there. Hebrews comes before Peter. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. Three, seven, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that last line should scare any husband who doesn't take this seriously. God's letting you know you're going to have problems. My relationship with you, son, heavenly father to us as his son, is going to have problems if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. So show her honor as a fellow of the grace of life and live with her in an understanding way and that would include not manipulating her. And there's a bunch of different, different ways that we can be tempted to manipulate. Whether it's I'm mad because she's not happy with the decision I made. I'm mad because I made the decision she wanted but it wasn't the decision I wanted. Whatever the case may be. But that's not how God calls us to do it. We should pray about it. Think through it. Make the best decision that we can, and then we go with it in the joy of the Lord. And you know what? At the end of the day, her response is her responsibility. What she does with it is between her and the Lord. But my job is to be humble before God and to stand firm on his word. So... One other thing that I don't want to skip past too quickly is this is assuming when I'm talking about reaching an impasse, this assumes prayer and this assumes talking together with your spouse. If you're not talking with your spouse, you're not. How, how can you live with her in an understanding way if you're not actually listening to her? You're not actually seeking to understand her. So this assumes the starting point would be prayer and talking through it, not, OK, we just briefly discussed moving to Kentucky once and now I've made my decision and Deal with it, woman. That's not living with your wife in an understanding way. A lot of the conflicts that happen in marriage could be avoided by simply learning to press pause. Say, you know what? Our, the harmony of our marriage is more important than whatever this issue is. We don't have to solve it right now. Let's pause. Let's pause. I love you. You love me. Everything really is okay. And we're going to just sit on this for a few days and pray about it. That is almost always a valid option. 
It's extremely rare. There are occasions, but it's extremely rare where there's actually a decision that's literally that pressing where it's like, no, we have to decide now. Usually, you can take, take a day or two, pray about it. And it's amazing. I mean, in our marriage, we have seen fights vanish. You know what? We're going to pause. We're going to pray. We come back to it two days later, and it's just like, I, I don't even understand why we were fighting. I don't understand why there was conflict to this. The Lord just fixed it. He can do that. So that's a very good first start, first place to start. Master that discipline. Those of you who are looking towards marriage, master that discipline of resisting the desire to fight it out, figure it out now. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's so much better to come back to it when you're both filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the joy of the Lord, not in the flesh. Okay, so once you've done that, then you discuss it. Then you come to the impasse. You've got your two options, husband. You either give her preference, go with what she wanted, and you have a good attitude, or you insist on what you believe to be the right course of action. And that sounds, we're, we're so culturally conditioned to where that just sounds bad. It just, you're insisting on what you wanted. That's bad. Well, no, you're, you have that responsibility. You might need to, if that's what the Lord is calling your family to do, you might need to say, no, sweetheart, this is what we need to do. Okay, do that then and have a good attitude. Do your best to choose what the Lord wants you to choose and have a good attitude. Remember that if you're punishing your wife for disagreeing with you, if you're having bad attitudes at her, you are making war on your own flesh. So, I mean, envision yourself taking a baseball bat and whacking yourself in the head. That's, that is the biblical picture of what it's like to be making war on your spouse. The two are one flesh. You're, you're literally hurting yourself. So, and again, we already briefly covered that, but this doesn't just mean make whatever decision makes her happy. That's not the standard. The standard is what does the Lord want? Her response is her responsibility. But it does mean that we keep our focus on the right thing. And we realize that, you know what, even in the decision-making process, it'd be better to make the wrong decision in a way that honors God than make the right decision in the flesh. Because what, what does Scripture actually command? Does Scripture command us to buy car X? No. And if I am, my wife and I have a disagreement on what car to buy, then what is the more operative biblical principle, the more clear biblical principles would be? I need to love my wife. I need to be a good steward. You know, there's all these different principles. But at the end of the day, I would rather buy the wrong car but do it from a genuine heart of submission to the Lord, loving my wife, doing my best then buy the car that turned out to be the right choice, but do it because I'm the man and you better sit down and shut up. Or do it because I'm, I'm too weak to say, no, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And I say, okay, well, if that'll make you happy, then just, just stop whining at me. We'll just do whatever you want. Neither one of those is okay. Don't, don't shift that responsibility onto her. That's actually not an act of love. To make her carry the weight of the decision to make her feel like because of your attitude, we made this decision and it's your fault. Mm -mm. No, it's still my fault. Now it's just my fault. Not only that we made the wrong decision, but also that I did it in a terrible way, but it's still my fault. It's still my responsibility because I'm the man of the house. God calls me to take the lead in these areas. Also, if your wife was correct about something, tell her so. Do unto your wife what you would have her do unto you. Our marriage, it's so easy in marriage to get adversarial. 
where it's me against her. And it's so important to remember, no, we're on the same team. If she made, if she, she thought something and it turned out to be right, even if I blew it on something, I made the wrong call, then what is the mature thing to do? The mature thing to do would be to say, you were right. You were right about that. Sorry, I missed it. I didn't see it. I made the wrong call. Well, with the res- responsibility and authority go together. Take responsibility. Be the man. We, you would instinctively know this if you were watching a movie. You would instinctively know when you see the one character say, I blew it. I made the wrong call. I'm sorry. You'd think, that there, there's a real man right there. There's somebody with the courage to own up to his mistakes. Well, be that kind of man. Here's one other note that's important to remember. If new information arises and the decision needs to be changed, what do you do? There has to be an understanding within marriage where we understand that life is not all just cut and dry. And if we have this attitude where it's like, well, you said it, and so now it's a promise, and any changes now are going to break the promise, and it's going to be this huge problem in our trust, in our our relationship, that's not how it should be. If new information arises and the decision needs to be changed, then the husband has a responsibility to change it. How is he supposed to do that? Just text his wife, by the way, we're not doing that anymore. Probably not. Probably not the best way to go about it. Probably, especially if this is something that's taken a lot of thought and prayer and she's got a very strong opinion on, he needs to talk to her. He needs to discuss it straightforwardly. He needs to not have a bad attitude for a while and hope that she's going to figure out why and then reopen the conversation and then they can straighten it out. No, he should just speak straightforwardly, speak the truth in love to his wife and just and just tell her, hey, sweetheart, I, you know what? I didn't realize this was the case we really need to, we've got to change this decision. Also, that shouldn't just happen because he thought about it more and got re-annoyed about the decision, right? That wouldn't be a good reason to change the decision. So if, that's, if it's happening all the time, if you're always changing your decisions, then you need to reevaluate your decision-making paradigm because that's going to exasperate your wife. Wouldn't it exasperate you? Would it exasperate me if I, if I was under someone's authority and they're just constantly like, oh yeah, we're going to do this tomorrow. And tomorrow rolls around and they say, oh, actually, you know what? We're not going to do that. If that's just happening all the time, then there's a problem that needs to be, needs to be addressed and dealt with. You're going to exasperate her and you're going to cheapen your word. Nobody, nobody believes it's the boy who cried wolf. Nobody believes the boy who cried wolf because this is the third time this week. So don't cheapen your word like that. A couple more references to briefly look at. And then uh, I've, I've used up my time on this, which is... This is appropriate. And then so next week, I'll follow up for the, um, the exhortation for the wives. Today we're talking to the husbands. And the sentence is, manipulation is not masculine. Live with your wife in an understanding way. A couple other proverbs to leave us with on this. Proverbs twenty twenty five. Proverbs twenty twenty five. It is a trap for a man to say rashly it is holy and after the vows to make inquiry. So as a husband, don't be that kind of guy. Don't be that kind of guy who just he has a great idea or he hears something briefly discussed. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Well, you just you made the call for your family. You, you're going to answer to the Lord for that. You need to be able to, in an understanding way, explain it to your wife, to your kids, especially as they're getting older. So make sure you've got your ducks in a row. I mean, you're not going to do it perfectly. But take, take your word seriously. Take your responsibility seriously. Proverbs 18, 13. 
He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So do your research. Don't guilt your wife into doing what you want. Don't make her guess why you're upset. Speak the truth to her in love. And then walk forward in the joy of the Lord. Just obey Jesus. Take the lead. Be, your, be the man for your family. Make the call in the joy of Jesus and invite her to come with you. Her response is her responsibility. You can't make your wife be submissive. That's not your job. But you can say, this is what the Lord's calling us to do. I'm making the call best I can. And I'd love to have you with me. But my joy, my joy's in Christ. And I'm, I'm still going to be that patriarch that is a beacon of joy and a fountain of love in the home. And um, I hope you'll come with me because it's better this way. That's the way God made it and his ways are good. So manipulation is not masculine. Men speak the truth and love in the home. Have a good attitude. Seek Christ first and lead your family in that direction. La- closing thought. Closing thought, just to make it quotable, it's related Not directly, but it's related. Dad, be a beacon of joy and a fountain of love in your home. Is your God that good? Is your cup that full? No one else can pull the home heavenward like you can. And that's our job. That's what our authority and our leadership is for. To pull our families after Christ. It's much better to do that as a magnet than as a slave driver. Next week, we will look at the, uh, some thoughts for the wife in the marriage relationship, but we're going to stop there for today and move to our time of prayer.